Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Dispersity and Life podcast. This week we interviewed Emma Lil Buck, who is the MP for South Shields. She's widely thought to be the first dyspraxic MP. And we had a little chat about her dyspraxia, her career, her experience at school, and all about who she is and how dyspraxia affects her life, her coping mechanisms, the challenges. And it was a really interesting chat, and I hope you enjoy it. Just a little brief note that this was recorded outside in a wonderful park in South London. So if there's a little bit of interference from the wind, that is why. I hope you enjoy it and afterwards we'll have a section on questions and answers from Dyspraxics. Each week I'm going to set a question for our listeners. It's going to be quite a simple question and if you'd like to answer the question you can email your answer to dyspraxiamagazine at gmail.com that's dyspraxiamagazine at gmail.com because as you know that all of us are different we're all affected very differently, we all respond to it differently, so every individual has their own unique take and perspective on their brain, effectively. This week's question was about coping mechanisms. The question was, which one coping mechanism has impacted your life positively and has affected your self-esteem most positively? And I put that, put that out on our Facebook group, Disparity and Adulthood, and we got a great response. So that is to come ask the interview. But first of all, here's the interview, and here's my chat with Emma Little Buck. I hope you enjoy it. So, how did Disparity come into your life? When did you first hear about it? Um, to be honest, I first heard about it when I was 27 in a with the educational psychologist. At the time, I was doing a master's degree. And one of my lecturers said, you know, there's, there's something just not quite right, Emma, with your work. And I said, well, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always known that. <laughs> and she said, we're going to send you to see, send you to see in outside just to try and, you know, get to the bottom of it. And it was after I'd had a, had a session with the educational psychologist, and he said, oh, you've got a mild dyslexia. And I thought, yeah, I know what that is. And then he said, you've got dyspraxia. And I thought, well, that's a new one on me. And then when I read his report, it kind of felt like my whole life was slipping into place. Yeah. And I thought, everything makes sense now. And I, sh- I remember showing it to one of my friends, and she started to cry, and she said, oh, my God, this is you. And then I showed it to my parents, and they said, we didn't realise that was a condition, we just thought it was you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't realise it was actually a thing. And then I basically shelved the report and got on with my life because I thought, well, I'm 27. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't, and I never looked at it again. And it was when I got elected to Parliament, my researcher said, that was me in 2013, and my researcher turned around and said, did I read somewhere or did you tell me that you've got this thing called dyspraxia? And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, do you know that there's like thousands of people with that? Yeah, there's like a foundation and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's a charity that works for people who have dyspraxia. That you should probably meet up with them. And I remember meeting some of the ladies from the foundation, and it was in Parliament. And I remember just feeling really tearful because for the first time in my life, I was taught to people who got it. Yes. Who actually understood what my life was like and the challenges I had. I never had that before, and I've worked with them ever since. And they're just they're amazing. They're like really changed things for me 
attitude and driven they are. I don't think I don't think it's a weakness. You know, people people look on disabilities or look at things that come into the SCND bracket as being something that, you know, oh what a shame or isn't that terrible that they've got this condition. But actually most dyspraxics I know are really driven, high achievers and really stand out in the world and come up with solutions to stuff that nobody else would ever be thinking of because our brains work differently. Um, we come up with the answers to big problems that nobody else ever would because everyone else always thinks the same, don't they? Yeah. They're always on the same wavelength, whereas we're not. And sometimes some of the stuff that come out with might sound outlandish, but when you drill down, we're actually coming up with some, some good ideas to think. Yeah. My story is exactly the same, basically. So I went, so, so basically I was premature when I was a baby. Yeah. And I was about one and a half pounds, so I was like the smallest baby wow. as a twin. So I was a miracle baby. And basically the problem was my placenta stopped working. So I wasn't, I wasn't feeding properly. So I was basically starving to death. And then they got me out cesarean style. And then I was always a bit behind everyone else, throwing and catching and coordination and stuff. Um, and in primary school... My mum and dad tried to get me assessed with dyspraxia. Yeah. So this is back in like 1991, yeah. I'm about 32 now. Um, and they basically said, I'll catch up eventually. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't have any, any of it. So my parents were overreacting. Um, and so basically I just got on with life, doing things in my own little style, in my own way. Um, and then I went to university, did what yeah. people do, graduated. Struggled to get a job because of, I wasn't really impressed in job interviews for whatever reason. Um, and I got a bit tearful with my mum. And Aww. she said to me, uh, I said to her, I feel different. I feel like I stand out. And she said, well, I always thought you um, had this thing called dyspraxia. Yeah. And she explained a bit about it, about the coordination. And yeah. it might have been a case that went in one ear and out the other. I basically said, um, well, that explains a lot. I didn't look into it. I didn't Google it at all. Because um, no. I figured I'd spend 20 odd years like getting to accept myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just, and you, you know you're always different. Yeah. And you know there's always something that stands out, but you can never put your finger on it. Exactly. And I think sometimes that can cause, I mean, I've, I used to suffer from absolutely chronic confidence and self-esteem issues. And I would literally, if someone would speak to us, I'd go bright red with embarrassment. Yeah. And then and, and now, you know, I'm a member of Parliament and I stand up and talk for a living. So, you know, it's, it is possible to overcome these barriers and achieve what you want to achieve. But I do look back and I think all of that pain and all of those yeah. times when I literally was so introvert and so absolutely, like, terrified of, of doing things and it held me back because I knew I was different. If only that, you know, if only I'd maybe known yeah. Would, would I would would I have would you be the same person? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you don't know, do you? No. And and I think the current situation now, the problem is, is that is is kind of is the government cut back on on support for SEND. You find and it's generally the um, middle class or the upper classes who are getting a diagnosis for the children because they're able to afford the time and the money to find the system. Working class kids like I was probably will never get a diagnosis. And yeah. Not, like I did not know because the state is working against them getting a diagnosis. You know, you've got parents having to take the government and local authorities to court just to get a diagnosis for the child and support. 
household. Now, my mum and dad have never been able to afford the time or the money to navigate that system. So you're locking, now you're locking kids out of education. You've got dyspraxia, whereas at least when I was in education, I wasn't locked out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you're creating generations of kids who potentially will be locked out of education. And I think it's so sad because there are adults like me and you who've gone through university, just managed to get through things through our creativity, through our quirkiness, through mm-hmm. our, like, just us being us, really. Um, yeah. But then there's others who I think they might be trapped in the in the, um, in the benefit system. Um, they could be disenfranchised with life. Like, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, think, I think, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. Yeah, I think me and you are, and I think the difference is that it sounds like we had massively supportive parents and family yeah. and friends who just, you know, loved it, but not everyone's that lucky. Yeah, exactly. You know what, and, and some people need, you know, need perhaps the state to step in and help them, or, or they need extra support, and I think we're now living in a country where that extra support just isn't there, and the state, the safety net that used to be provided by the state, that used to help people, is now being ripped from people and you know people are feeling hopeless and lost and that's that's at this government's door Uh, and I think it's so sad because like obviously my parents were trying to get me assessed back in 1993 Mm -hmm. and how can it be 25 years later that Mm -hmm. parents are still getting the same response from teachers and authorities and it's just it's just crazy that there's so little awareness I think it is a stigma thing. And I think the more we talk about it, the more it'll be in conversations, it'll be more accepted. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, there is a lot of people, you know, you've got um, Harry Potter, he's one of them, isn't he? And you've got the singer from um, Calabro, who's from my part of the world. So there is more and more people speaking out, which I think is fantastic. And I think the more we just keep doing that and showing people that, you know, it's not So, so generally speaking, what are your dyspraxic traits? What are the things? Because everyone's different, aren't they? We're all different. Yeah, it's quite hard to describe it, isn't it? Yeah. Nice people see it. What, what, what is it? And it's really hard. Yeah, because everyone's different. It's, there's so many different bits to it, isn't yeah. it? I think a lot of it for me is around like the, um, the coordination, and sometimes I get really stressed with like thought processes. So I suppose it's um, you know I always sometimes still now I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> I get easily distracted quite a 
like peripheral vision. Yeah, yeah. There's something happening in the corner of the room. I'll be distracted by it, which is why when I'm in Parliament, I always write out my speeches in full and prepare them because if I don't and something distracts us, then I'll, I'll lose my thought process. Yeah. Um, I think for me, sometimes it's that I can get, if I'm not completely 100% organised so and, and prepped for the day ahead, then I can spiral into a bit of a panic. Yeah. And, and, and it becomes all a bit too cloudy and a bit too much, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So do you sometimes, sometimes my body language, I've got lots of, like, I use my hands a lot and I move around quite a lot. I'm quite fidgety, so if you ever watch me in the chamber, if I'm sat there for a long time, everyone else will be still and I'll be constantly moving around and looking around all the time. So it's that, and um, I'm quite sensitive to loud noise, bright lights, that kind of thing really, really, like, hurts. You know, like, I don't know how to describe it, I feel stuff really intensely. Yeah. So, like, if there's bright lights, Just like highly sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like that about like taste, touch, feelings, and I suppose mentally as well. Like I feel things really quite strongly. Yeah. And more deeply, I suppose. That's like me. I'm a a massive overthinker. I overthink absolutely everything. Oh, I worry. I worry about my my nana used to say to me that I was like her. The doctor used to say to me, nana. the NHS will ever assess dyspraxia or do you think it will always be a private sort of thing? coping mechanisms so obviously you said you write down your speeches and you prep what what other things do you do is there like little things you do that help you cope
notes all the time. Um, and I overly prep because it's a confidence issue. So if I'm speaking for a debate in the team, but some people will just walk in and speak. I, if you ever see pictures of me, like I was speaking in debate yesterday, I will be surrounded by perhaps folders, loads of notes. I'll have my iPad there because I don't only just write out the speech in full and practice it and practice it. I also have lots of notes around us. So if somebody comes in and asks the question, I'm prepared to answer them. Yeah. Because for me, I'd be absolutely devastated if I if I couldn't answer and then I said to them, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know that because to me, that's a failure. You need to be prepared. You're in the House of Commons. Of course, It yeah. is important. So... But I think there's that over-prepping. But then what, what tends to happen is because I'm over-prepped, you tend to sometimes think, well, actually, I'm coming to this more than other people. Yeah. <laughs> that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> but if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be confident and I would stand and it would show. Um, I'm very kind of, it's hard for me to hide my feelings and my thoughts. They show on my face very clearly. Yeah. So if I'm nervous, you can see it. If I'm worried, you can see it. And if I'm confident, you can see it. And the only way for me to be confident is to be 100% clear on what I'm seeing and know that I've got lots of notes to back it up and lots of evidence to say I know what I'm seeing is true. Perfect. So what made you want to be an MP? Um, I think just growing up where I did, um, I come from a family of shipyard workers. Um, my dad was in that work. And, you know, just watching how... It's inequality, isn't it? If you walk in that environment, you see how some people have access to everything in the world and then others just because of postcode and circumstances are held back or don't have those opportunities. And I think it just used to make me really angry. And I always wanted to do something in public service, but never I used to dream about becoming an MP. Never thought I would I would pull it off. I used to think it was too possible. And then um when I, I became a local councillor when I was 24. Yes. And I started forcing myself into situations that I hated. So making sure I spoke in public and just, and I started going on courses on a weekend to teach yourself how to public speak. Because I thought, you know what, I want to, I don't want anybody in the, in this country to have to live with inequality. I don't think it's fair. We're really unequal country. But we're when I was growing up, we still are. And that needs to change. And so I was kind of always driven by that and by the and by anger of seeing people like my dad, who's a really hard working person, really proud man being out of work and, you know, absolutely on his knees for ages, desperate to go to work and provide for his family and being unable to. Um, I just thought I want to I wanted to be in the place that I could change that. Yeah. I know exactly what it's like because my mum is from County Durham. Oh, so nice. all my all my mum's side of the family from North East. My mm. wife was actually born in South Shields. So her Hi. family are all are all big Sunderland fans from the South Shields. <laughs> um, so I'm very familiar with the area. So Good. it's always really telling to me how big the difference is in yeah, terms of inequality. And it is yeah, and it's it's horrible because yeah. people don't deserve to be less off because of where they live. Exactly. And, it, and, and it's a lot of And they can either, you know, and they can either create a society where everyone has a stake or keep it the way it used to be when, you know, my granddad was young and, you know, if you've got money, you do all right. If you don't, so do you. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, that's not the kind of country I wanted to live in. And that's why I've, you know, 
strived and pushed myself and went on training and done everything in my power to make it. And I never thought in a million years I would get to Parliament. And, um, you know, I think after about 10 years of being on the council, after training to be a social worker and forcing myself into those situations, I eventually got here. So, and I'm, I, hope it, I hope it lasts long enough for me to, you know, for us to be in government and to put into effect some of those changes. I hope so. <laughs> So that was my interview with Emma Lil Buck. I hope you enjoyed it. I found it to be absolutely fascinating. And it's rare that you hear a politician being so open and honest about things like mental health and the challenges they face. And I just love her perspective and the fact that she believes we're just quirky and creative and full of potential and full of positives. And I think that positive outlook is... One that's really, really refreshing. Now we're on to our second part of the podcast, which is our question and answer session. Each week I'm asking you, the listener, to give me an answer to a question. This week's was a nice simple one. It was, which one coping mechanism has most positively impacted your day-to-day life or your self-esteem? So we put that out on our Facebook page, Dyspraxia and Adulthood, and we got a load of responses. And here is a couple. So Penny says, the coping mechanism that improves her esteem the most is learn to acknowledge and accept the condition. This helps me to be less hard on myself when things don't go to plan. Also being able to explain my condition to others helps me cope even if you really have to be me to get it. So I think I think accepting the condition is it's a challenge for some people and for others it's not. And then we have Siobhan who says coping mechanism that has improved my day life the most is meditating each morning and evening. So meditating is something I do or should do really. It is a way of really escaping from the chaos and particularly myself, I'm prone to worrying and I overthink and I over-worry and I over-analyse. So just five minutes meditating, just listening to some relaxing, calming music, maybe some white noise or some natural sounds, could be the ocean could be some um, waterfall music or jungle or it could be anything it just really helps me take me out of that chaotic anxious moment Catherine says being kind to myself taking myself out of difficult situations such as noisy places she gets quite bad sensory overload Um, and accepting dyspraxia is part of me and not a fault and then we've got Rosanna, who says, writing lists and breaking things down into tiny chunks makes life more manageable and provides me with structure when the chaos of everyday life gets too much. And we've got, we've got more and more, and it's really good to hear from the insights of dyspraxics because sometimes these questions aren't asked. 
and sometimes people have so much insight to offer, and it's just a case of asking the question. So we've got a guy who says, try to be kind to myself, liking myself more, because I know that if I don't, it affects my self-esteem. And personally, this has affected me a lot. So when things go wrong, my default position is to blame myself. It's to say things like, you idiot. And really be kind to yourself and think, would you use those harsh terms like idiot or loser or swear word? Would you use those words if someone else next to you made that mistake? And you probably wouldn't. And you got to sort of teach yourself not to use those words and that sort of harshness and critical criticalness with yourself. So I'd like to thank everyone who answered the question this week. It's always lovely to hear from you. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm planning on doing a new episode every week. And if you'd like to join us practicing in Adulthood Facebook group, you'll find a brand new question each week and you can also follow us on facebook just give us a nice little like and you can follow us on twitter at dyspraxia life instagram at dyspraxia life and that is it for this week thank you for listening i just want to give a shout out to ryan who did the music the beautiful music that you're about to hear in a second that's him And also to Mike Bale, who edited this podcast to make me sound as beautiful as possible and did a bit of editing. And he's our podcast producer, so thank you to him. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you.